You're about to listen to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which comes to you free every single week over on geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy helping us keep this show free, and I know you do, pop on over to patreon.com forward slash geekinthecity, where we have all kinds of levels that get you some fantastic awards and benefits. But if you can't help us out there, just please share this show over on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And as always, our opening and closing theme brought to you by nerd rock group Megathruster. And now, let's get on with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. One, two, three, four! It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. Talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going more factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright! Hello, everyone. Welcome to issue 552 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bean Rita. And I'm your other host, Cable Hashtani. And joining us this, this week is our special uh, guest all the way over in Florida, Mimi Chan. Hello, hello. Hi, Thank Mimi. You Thanks so for- much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, but right up, the, right off the bat, should we officially call you uh, Sifu Mimi Chan or just Mimi or what do you? Because I'm looking at your oh. name down there, I'm like, oh, I got to use your title. Awesome. Oh no, 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 just Mimi's fine for this realm, the podcast realm. I'm just Mimi, but yes, Sifu Mimi is my official title. But if any of your students log in, they better not just call you Mimi. Right? No, that would be, not be okay. <laughs> <laughs> they know better though. Right. <laughs> So uh, I, I think I initially reached out to you uh, mainly because I, I kept seeing your Instagram page hanging out with Greg. And I was <laughs> Which like, we well, were instantly jealous of. I was like, wait a minute, how can she have him on the show more than us already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been kind of uh, surreal, really, because I actually only met him last year at San Diego Comic Con because I had a panel there and I... Uh, my podcast realm is my very, very, very part-time passion project. It's, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not professional like you guys, and <laughs> I haven't been doing this that long. I just um, really enjoy it, and actually, no coincidence, started it in 2016, and so, you know, wanted to have some voices out there. So I, I met Greg last year, and then it was just super crazy at San Diego, and he was like, why don't you come out to Portland, um, to Rose City, and I'll invite you to my house, and we can have a two-hour interview then, and I was like, Okay. And at the time, I, I didn't really think I was going to go <laughs> because, you know, I live in Florida. But I also have a Kung Fu affiliation out there. So I do have a, a small school that I have a student that teaches. And I was like, well, I could probably make this work. And so he was so gracious. And just since then, we really kind of had this nice bond. And since COVID started, he offered and if you ever met me, you don't actually offer me anything because I will take you up on it. He said, well, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just chat with you weekly during this quarantine if you want. And I said, okay. <laughs> so now we have a weekly podcast. No, that's awesome. That's really great. I'm trying to think, oh, my dice are going everywhere because I'm fidgeting. Um, 
I'm trying to remember, uh, Denise or Cable, do you guys remember how we first had Greg on? A f- very first? I, was it I don't think... Was it leading up to Wonder Woman Rebirth? Uh, that sounds... That feels right. Because okay. uh, yeah. that would have been... Well, the movie was 2017, right? Or was it 2018? 17. Uh, I feel 17, but I yeah. mm-hmm. But dates are irrelevant right now. Is yeah, right? Time, none of, time, time doesn't... Time, yeah. <laughs> 2017. So it would have been a goodly while before that uh, for, for the book, his run yeah. on the book. So let's, let's say 2016. Yeah, something. Maybe, yeah, but yeah. Um, that, would, that would have been the reason most likely. Right. Yeah, then that, that whole joke about time made me realize that of the many things that Douglas Adams got correct, it was that uh, time is meaningless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but none of, it, none of it really matters. So true, so true. But I, I, it has been a really jarring time, I think, for everybody. And it has been really, honestly, I think Greg and I just admitted, I think, last week on air, it's pretty much our therapy. Like, every week we just sit there and talk. And it's been really... It's been really helpful, honestly, through the process. And I think it's great that you guys have a weekly show as well because it really just offers kind of an outlet, I think, as personally as, as the host. I don't know for you guys because you, you host a very similar style show where it's very conversational. And uh, while you probably have a lot of things to talk about, uh, obviously what's happening in the world becomes current. I know I heard uh, last week's podcast and I uh, thought that was great. And so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that I'm actually really glad I have this passion project because it's been really helpful for me. I think that is a, uh, a commonality that all podcasters share is within a certain time frame. They figure out, Oh, this is my therapy. <laughs> this is, this is exactly what that is. Uh, it it definitely feels that way for for me, like without without question. Um, for as like stressful as I can get, as it can be sometimes, to to organize the show and everything. And I realize that that seems like such a first world problem. Like, oh, I get so stressed <laughs> out trying to set up my podcast from home. <laughs> um, but I also think, at least for me personally, I, I put way too much weight on every little thing that I do. So if the podcast doesn't sound perfect, then it will sit on me. The, like I will actually begin to apologize to people like, oh, don't listen to this week. Like, <laughs> there was a cracking in my mic. Oh, don't. It's awful. Stop. Um, but then, yeah, definitely being on is a, is a form of therapy for sure. I know that I have a tendency to try to treat it like a job sometimes where I get a little bit over... Well, I get a little bit too me and I'm like, oh, I should be organizing this and scheduling that and planning this and the other and the other. But... But the actual core of podcasting, which is, you know, the three of us and occasionally a guest sitting in front of mics together and just having a conversation is, is very therapeutic. Uh-huh. Even if we can't do it in the same room these days, it's still getting together with friends and, and just having a nice conversation, which uh, you can never have enough of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. sure. I, and I think even more so now, especially with quarantine, right? Like you guys have your weekly party in a sense, right? And uh, Or therapy session or however you want to put it. I think even more so that we're all restricted and it's been just this really crazy time. Um, even more so having that human connection is important. And so that's why it's it's been great. And I, I'm so grateful to Greg. I mean, I, I, I love having him on the show. I, I'm always <laughs> learning. So it's really, I feel like it's a one-way uh, <laughs> advantage. <laughs> 
relationship because, you know, I'm very novice in the world of comics and whatnot. Like I enjoy it, but, and it's ironic because I do have a lot of comic creators on my show, but I am very much uh, a novice in that, in that area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I taught Greg something the very first time he was a guest on our show. Oh my God. So never, fe- really? never feel like you can't contribute in the other direction. <laughs> you know, you give me grief for bringing this up, but you deep down are so proud of it. No, well, I think it's funny. It's, it was, it's a funny anecdote. When you so. called it the lariat instead of the, the lasso? No, all the way around. He... Well, see now for something I'll never forget. Now I'm forgetting. Um, I referred to it as a lariat. He corrected me. You corrected him. Ah, and okay. And you were correct. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then he, he looked at me and looked at you and went, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but all this to say, like, you know, don't feel like time with Greg is only like to your benefit. He, he can get something out of it too. No, and he, 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 he expresses that. He does express that. But I'm always, you know, I'm like, oh, tell me more about writing. And I'm not a writer, but, uh, you know, but it does, it does definitely go back and forth. Because of course, as a martial artist, that's so ingrained in me though, to constantly be, you know, humble and learning and whatnot. But yeah, we, we, I'm sure that if he felt exhausted through the conversations, we wouldn't be heading into week nine or 10 or whatever we right. are. Well, uh, speaking of uh, your martial arts and your, your training, your background, kind of being that this is like a, a pop culture show, can you kind of give us the, the secret origin of Mimi Chan, you know, the, the classic kind of who's who? Yes. Well, for the pop culture fans, and the reason I actually started to get into cons and things like that was uh, my first con that I went to convention was uh, MomoCon in Atlanta. And I was just invited as a guest because, of course, I was the model for Mulan in Disney's uh, animated feature. And that's kind of a big deal for the Disney fans. And uh, it was a really big deal at the time. It feels like a million years ago now. <laughs> but I've pretty much been doing Kanku since I was three. So that's my real uh, quote unquote d- day job, you know, day job by, you know, Kung Fu teacher and then podcaster right. part-time, but yeah. So, so that's it almost what sounds of- like it should be the other way around. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it's so mythical. Right. <laughs> it's, it's borderline superhero work. Right. Yeah. I actually yeah. had to promise my co-host that I would not nerd out over Mulan stuff because I'm probably the resident Disney fanatic in the chat. It's in, okay. In the room right now. I, I, I actually love that about love you. It's, it's, my top, it's, my top, it's in my top five Disney films. So. I love that. And actually, I just had uh, today's release on my show is Gail Simone, and she's a huge oh. Mulan fan. And uh, we had this like total like fangirl moment where she's fangirling over Mulan and I'm fangirling over her stuff. And so it was really a lot of fun, (laughs) but, but it, it's really amazing to me because I feel like it was so long ago, yet it's so um, important to so many different people of different ages. And I always think the young kids don't watch anything if it's not CG. So I, I assume, you know, no one's watched it, but then I've been really fortunate to be able to kind of have that outreach and, and see a lot of fans that enjoy it and my small part in it and everything. And occasionally um, Ming-Na comes to Florida for the candlelight at Epcot. And like oh. so a couple of times we've had the Mulan reunion and we always uh, catch up there. I mean, I didn't meet her while we were working on it, but it, over the years we've, we've been able to connect. So that's always fun. Nice. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, I think one of the things we also want to like talk about is uh, having to do with like 
the various casting or the work that happens in pop culture, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and not to like take a, like an immediate spin into more kind of serious topics or, or what have you, but I feel like um, there were some real headroads that were being made even within the last year with more, you know, diverse voices within comics and, and television and, and film. And now it, my general impression is a lot of that has just been shut down um, as like, you know, film production has come to a halt. Same with television and publishing has slowed way down. And now as it starts to ramp back up, uh, my, my big concern is that these companies are, and I can't totally fault them for this. They're going to fall back on what has already made them their billions of dollars instead of taking chances again, instead of taking the risk that they were kind of willing to take the hit on because now they've been doing nothing but taking a hit. So I, you know, what are, what's everyone's kind of thoughts on like how we can move forward and make sure that the few strides that were made aren't thrown aside almost immediately. Uh, I think that one of the key things is uh, something that has started making the rounds these days on social media is, hey, remember that like, just because uh, equality tweets and TikToks are what's on your timelines right now uh, doesn't mean that's what it's going to be next week. Don't let that mean it's not like don't make that let you believe that it's not an issue anymore. Uh, you have you have to do the individual work of remembering that this is an ongoing issue. And I think that that applies to all industries in saying like, okay, well, we've, we did our token work last month of being more inclusive. Uh, and now we can just go back to creating whatever with whatever fallback, you know, core uh, demographics we're used to as consumers, we have to keep pushing for and supporting the content that is uh, more inclusive. Yeah, I, I completely agree, especially uh, what you just said about the consumer side, because ultimately, you know, studios and everything, they're consumer, I mean, they're driven by the dollar sign, right? So if the consumers support the work, then hopefully that will show. I mean, and, and I know that we're probably talking about the strides with, you know, Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians. And I mean, those were like, oh my gosh, something happened for different, you know, uh, minorities, people of color. And and while those strides were really great, it's it's interesting because there are still like really tiny steps, kind of what we're dealing with now with Black Lives Matter, right? Like, oh, wow, you know, there's there's little strides in in some of the changes in the police department and whatnot, but there's still just really tiny steps. And, and, and back into the, the film side of things, it's it's, I think, also the, I want to loud people like Mindy Cowling, who's really doing fantastic work, who's always trying to make sure that people of color are being represented on screen. And I've been, you know, now that we have a little more time at home, <laughs> I've seen some of these uh, Netflix shows and, and Hulu shows she's doing. And so I think on the, the creator side to constantly have those voices out there is really important. And the fact that those shows are doing well. So like you said, the consumer side, if I don't know how it watched this program and therefore like you know you get that top 10 and I'm always like I think they're lying I don't really believe this is a top 10 of this week or whatever but <laughs> I feel like it on the consumer side definitely you know constantly showing support for those type of programming is important Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think the Netflix thing is tricky uh, because, as we know, different uh, programs will be recommended to different groups. Um, mm -hmm. What was that um, that animated shorts series where the episodes were in different orders for different? Love, death, robots. Oh, thank love you. you. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I saw those tweets about how uh, the help was number one in America on Netflix, I went to Netflix and I looked at the top 10 list. It was not, it was like number seven. So I don't know how accurate that is versus how quickly they change it versus how much are they catering that, um, that billboard listing essentially per to different audiences. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if I watch almost exclusively diverse shows, are they more likely to show me a ratings listing that is more in tune with what I would expect or what I would like to see? So that's that one I have, I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to me, it's just a matter of like, just choosing for yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I was always curious about that. I thought maybe you guys would have a <laughs> an idea. Yeah, I, I wish I had some kind of insight onto how that algorithm works. Is like, like Denise had mentioned, that birth, death, robots thing was really weird in that people got a different order of those shorts depending on who they were. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't and, I, and, and even Netflix finally admitted that they were tailoring the way the shorts were laid out by the viewing pattern of that account. Um, Which in essence almost feels like they were, I don't mean this in like a, like a nefarious way, but it feels like they were trying to do a bait and switch. Let me serve you this thing that we know you'll like. And then a little bit down the road, I'm going to turn it around and give you something that you might not have tried otherwise. I know that uh, when I watched it, it started with um, Sunny's Edge, which was the pit fighting Yeah, that's the one that it started with me too. Um, and then eventually started getting into the more cutesy episodes, which makes total sense to me. <laughs> right. And mine started with the, uh, with basically the, the sentient like robots, like there was no life left on earth, but the robots were now like taking, they were now being with tourists the cats? with the cat. That's oh, where, yeah. that's the one mine started with. Yeah. That was like my fourth episode. Yeah. yeah. Mine started third. with the revenge stuff. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> See, just in this, I've learned a lot about you three. <laughs> Thank you, Netflix. Yeah, and that's the thing. I'm, and I'm the only one in this group that doesn't own a cat. Uh, um, I yeah, don't own a cat. Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant the ho- yeah. I know. I was um, kidding. The other reason why I always kind of I, I started to cry foul on the the Netflix stuff, at least how they would how they would kind of decide what what was going to be their biggest hits is that I um. The one I keep going back to was when they had that they were basically about to uh, not renew uh, the one day at a time show that they had, mm-hmm. which was like trending a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It had won an Emmy. It was like winning all these awards, and they kept bragging about how great the show was and how happy they were to have it. But if you went into Netflix and you click on the one the one page, it's like all of the original content. It wouldn't show up. Like you'd have to actually type in the title of the show to get it to show up because then their follow-up reason for canceling was like, well, it didn't have the viewers, <laughs> which mm-hmm. didn't ring true. If it was, you know, winning awards, highest rated, getting all these articles written about it. And when you would go on a Netflix to look for it, you figure if you have a show that's winning those awards, whether you personally like it or not, like you put it on They'd your, be pushing it. you push it basically you do the above the fold with it and they just weren't. Yeah, but um, don't you notice that most, all the Netflix, Hulu, all of them, Prime even, like, it's their stuff first, right? So it's, net, like, sure. you, you scroll across and it's yeah. just like Netflix, 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 Netflix. And even in Hulu, you have to kind of 
get to, you have to search stuff now versus, cause that's what they're pushing first. And so right. um, I, I only have like a very small window cause I, I used to have a film on Hulu and it was through an indie distributor. And then, you know, you wonder how these get picked. And of course, Netflix didn't pick us up. And that was right around the time where they were doing their own stuff. Right. They're being timed as an indie filmmaker, but uh, for sure, you just like I don't even know. And I, I had films on these different platforms, and I, I don't even know how it works, how they you know decide, right? It's kind of like YouTube. <laughs> like yeah. I know that we've had more views than this. <laughs> right. Well, it seems like YouTube changes their algorithms every time people begin to figure out how to monetize it properly. They're like, oh no, <laughs> we've had to change the rules now to make it better for you. It's never better for us. Never ever ever. Um, I don't mean to get all like negative, but it's like no change a company makes, I think, is ever better for their consumer or their or their clients. Oh, no, it's it's um, always about whatever makes them the most money. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um yeah, a lot of these companies are real tight on their on their numbers. Like I don't know anyone in comics that actually knows their digital numbers at all. They know their their sales numbers from you know, book orders, mm-hmm. but every publisher out there is super tight lipped on what their digital numbers are not are like. And, you know, the, the pseudo conspiracy person in me wonders, like, are they hiding those numbers? Because that means they'd have to share that money. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I had a question in, and kind of relating to what you were talking about in film and how that diversity can say, because you notice also like every third film out there is from comics, right? There's like a comic theme. So is it also okay. now on that IP, those creators to make sure there's diversity? And I know there are are a lot of creators that are, are really big on that. And you guys probably know a lot more about comics than I do. So I was curious as to <laughs> what you've seen in the trends over the last few years in terms of that. And um, because it does influence the, the film industry since, you know, they're not coming up with their own ideas. They're like, let's just take <laughs> another Spider-Man or whatever. You know, they're basically, they'd, they'd rather have the, that content. Right. Um... I, I think I I think as a rule, I think creators are really pushing for for more diverse voices. Um that might be the kind of the circle and the bubble that I run in also, in that um I I I tend to only um I tend to only read creators that try to create a more more diverse <laughs> voices to begin with. So I mm-hmm. my own views could be very biased on what is actually mm-hmm. happening out there. Um but I but I do think I think comics as a rule, at least on the creator side, does and, and wants to. Um, but it's then convincing a publisher to take that title. And then they take it. Then it's convincing a store, which is already kind of having a rough time right now, to take a chance on the title. Um, and again, like I, kinda, I personally get it. If you run a comic book shop... Um, you have to, first off, you have to pay 90 days in advance for a title, which is just ludicrous that that's how the market, that's how the, the, the market works. Um, and I get it. If you run a comic book shop, you have limited shelf space. So are you going to devote uh, shelf space to this title that has a, a black woman as the main character and someone maybe knows the creator, but they don't know this character. They don't know the story. Or are you going to take a yet another version of the X-Men? that you may not really like the creators, but they put Wolverine on the cover and people, Hmm. people buy Wolverine. Uh Um, 
so I, I think in theory it's there, but I don't know if it's happening in practice, if that makes sense. They still have the same quote unquote big studio problem, the whole big publisher problem. It, go ahead. I, I think so. Um, this is a, a weird uh, simile to, to establish, but uh, do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Marge finds a Chanel two-piece suit on a clearance rack and all of a sudden she gets in with these like society ladies and is having, you know, she becomes a lady who lunches. Um, but uh, after a short period of time, they're like, man, you keep wearing that same outfit. Uh, and now she's getting like uh, class shamed again. And so she keeps uh, re, uh, re, designing the same materials from the same dress over and over so that she can bring variety to her wardrobe so she can continue to fit in. So she can be what she thinks people want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually it just like turns to dust in her hands because, um, because she bled it dry. And I think, I want to believe that that's what will happen at some point is like you can only re reboot the X-Men franchise so many times and, and, you know, like disappoint honestly, because it it just keeps getting watered down by (laughs) taking the same thing, but trying to make it new and fresh. Uh, At some point it just has to, they just have to run out, right? It has to just flop and they have to finally, you you would would think, think, I would like to think that one day there's some enough people are going to be like, I'm sick of you just trying to recycle this same shit. It's never been as good as it was in the beginning. So just stop it. Um, I mean, you'd think so, but I don't think that's happening. No, Um, it's not. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, this gets back. uh, Sorry. I had this as an earlier answer, but this gets back into the phrase that I keep hearing from everybody right now is like, well, when we go back to normal or when we can get things back to normal, I don't want normal again. I don't want normal ever again because normal sucked. Mm. Create a new normal, I guess. Yes. I I want something. I do want new. I I don't necessarily need normal. Yeah. (laughs) But I want new. Like Mimi said, you want better. I mean, because trust me, new could be an extra big shit show. Yes, this is true. I, I do want better. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can be very mm-hmm. scary. <laughs> yeah, you could be. Better, here sure. come the alien, here come all... the alien jellyfish to ruin everything. Like, there's new for you, Cable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually might be an improvement, though. <laughs> you know what? It worked for Ozzy Mendez for 40 years. Why don't we give it a shot for a little bit? <laughs> Sorry, little little watchman humor. <laughs> I mean, speaking of bringing back a franchise, that that's one that I, in my opinion, actually really knocked it out of the park. Agreed. Uh-huh. Agreed. Uh, I I mean, I know it took me like six months to get on that wagon, but uh, I think that uh, having watched it like literally like in the past month was uh, actually added value yeah. to the. Uh, to the gravity of what they were trying to address. Um, yes. And Very also, I, I, there, there's, I haven't read the comic, although it is on my short list now, because uh, it turns out it's been on my shelf. Uh, but I've seen the movie a handful of times. And, uh, you know, safe to say, there's some definitely problematic characters in that, uh, in that series. Yes. 
and it's nice to not only uh, bring diversity into the uh, the franchise, but also make those diverse characters and their struggles really be the thing that makes the story. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was that to me was an excellent way to recreate uh, and add value to an existing franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was refreshing for sure. But I feel like HBO kind of pushes the envelope on that a little bit more than they're, they're less safe. Right. So I right. feel like that was the platform for, sure. for it. And I think um, escaping me now, but of course the creator's like, I'm only going to do more if I feel like it's going to be right. And if it's going to be at that level. And then he's just like, nope, not going to do it. I'm like, oh, but, but yeah, it was really refreshing. And I did read it. It was been a long time. And um, my comic book friend showed me that amazing thing where I guess like, if you turn the pages, like in the middle, it's like all symmetrical or something. And so it's like so brilliant. But uh, it, it was interesting because it has nothing really to do with the comic. It's just uh-huh. the, the pieces of it. And uh, I had to admittedly YouTube and go, okay, what the heck happened in the first episode? Right. And yeah. my friend was like, just wait till the end. It'll all make sense. I was like, you want me to watch a whole, and then of course it does, but yeah, it's, it's layered. <laughs> it's very intense. Yeah. And I think something I appreciated about it is that um, he had uh, as another podcast I listened to um, has one of the co-hosts is this writer named uh, Mark Bernardin and he's, uh, in fact, you should try to get him on your show if you can. We keep trying okay. to get him too. Um, he's he's friends with um, Linda. How do you say his name? Lindelof. 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 Yep. And they apparently spoke to each other. And you know, Lindelof said like HBO offered me. He loves watching. He's like HBO offered me to do this Watchmen series. I don't think I want to do it because who can do justice to it? I don't want to turn into it another like I don't want it to be like a ten hour version of a Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> I, you know, I, don't, I just don't want it to happen. And uh, Mark Bernardin's answer was, look, if you don't do it, they're going to find somebody to do it. Like HBO is going to find someone to make this happen. So if they're offering it to you, you might as well try and find where you can unpack it and make it yours because they're going to do it. Um, and apparently it's when he learned about the, actu- the, the actual Tulsa massacre where he was, that was his springboard. And then he also realized, oh, it can't be a white guy who tells this story. Which right. yep. it's kind of interesting when you see the credits, he's always on the story credit, but there's always another name. He's basically just there so that HBO leaves them alone and lets them tell their story, which I thought was, uh, is really interesting. And I think as a way that uh, uh, um, white people in position of authority and power can really help out of saying like, I've got this idea and the publisher or the film company says, great, you're hired. And they say, okay. And then they step back and say, but here's the, <laughs> but here's the writer's room. Yeah. Tricked you, you know. <laughs> um that's that's a really good method. That is one way of um rather than being like a, a quote unquote white savior as to actually be an ally. It's like, okay, well, this is what my privilege has or hard work or both has earned me is, you know, a seat at this table. Let me then take that opportunity and trickle it down, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh to two more diverse voices. Like I've got the I've got the the clout, but I'm going to use it to to elevate people who do not, but should. It's, it's the ultimate turning over your platform. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's actually something that a lot of really good 
creators, I would think, uh, do, or at least feel, feel responsibility um, for. If, whether you're creating original content or you're working with somebody else's IP, I mean, yeah, you're there to entertain and inform and give people another way to look at life through, through art. But I also think eventually you have a responsibility to then help foster who's going to come after you because your desire to tell stories, I, I personally, this is for me, didn't just come out of nowhere. Like I didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a writer. Like it was an evolution. And there were definitely key moments in my past that put little pieces in that eventually built the story that was Aaron who would become a writer one day. And it is, I feel my responsibility to one day offer that back. Otherwise what's the, otherwise I'm just taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I mean, you, and Oh, go ahead, Cable. Uh, no, go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say that um, back to what Denise was saying though, was basically some people do have the clout, right? And so there are all these stories and you can see the successes when they bring uh, staff or crew or whatever on to offer authenticity, especially when it's cultural, right? Because mm-hmm. how many how many movies have been quote unquote, like you use whitewash, whatever, how many have just not gone the way of authenticity in fear of having a person of color lead or in fear of having too much of one ethnicity when it's actually about that culture or something. So I think there's, that's been a bit of a shift because the community has taken to the boards. They put petitions out. They're actually rising up and using their voices. So I think mm-hmm. all of that's very important in terms of diversity and, and being protective over that culture, but sharing it, right? So there's like that. I've had a lot of cultural appropriation discussions on my podcast in the past because my, my show is <laughs> called Culture Chat. And so, yeah, I have a lot of that, especially um, with Asian culture and uh, black culture. Like there's just like a lot of borrowing <laughs> back and forth, but I think there's a difference between um, taking and then also honoring something, right? So there, I, I feel like it's okay if someone wants to use Kung Fu in something as long as they're, you know, a little bit appropriate, but also honoring it. Like there's this fine line and, and people get kind of funny about it. But I think in creation and, and film and writing and all of that, if you have like a source that's authentic, that's, that's very key. And you see a lot of the successful, uh, you know, filmmakers and whatnot, using that like you said denise like not everybody has that oh i have this great film but if you're a nobody you're not going to get into hbo or whatnot right Hmm. and i I think i think uh, i think the audiences are also beginning to tell the difference uh between something that is appropriation and appreciation um Mm -hmm. and it's a Mm -hmm. it's a pretty fine line um and i don't mean they see the difference in terms of like I think when they notice it is that I think the story just feels more authentic because you can tell when it's coming from an honest voice, mm-hmm. um, whether it's someone who did just a, a ton of research and got all the right experts, got all the right voices to make sure they were telling the correct story. Or if it's someone who's just telling their authentic understanding of their culture, or their background, the story just comes out better. Um, there's even, I think there's even little subtle things that you don't even realize it until you think about it afterwards. I keep, um, it's a weird divergence. A, a few nights ago, uh, because I just decided to do it, I rewatched Suicide Squad, um, which is still not a very good movie. Apart from Margot Robbie and Will Smith, I actually I think Will Smith it. was pretty good as Deadshot in that. Uh, the movie's just bad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then it made me think back to when I saw the Harley Quinn film with my wife and she adored that movie and she's not a comic book movie fan. She doesn't read comics, but she had a lot of fun with it. And she kept commenting. She said, I don't know much about this one, but it feels like there were a lot of women involved in making this movie. And when I looked it up, I was like, yeah, there are. And when you compare Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad to Harley Quinn in her own movie, same character. Everything about how she's presented on screen is completely different because in Harley, Margot is calling a lot of the shots. The director is calling a lot of the shots, obviously. And there's a lot of women involved in that project. The costume, the way they move, the way they're shot, everything about it feels more authentic, doesn't feel super creepy and navel-gazy. Um, there aren't as many like butt shots in Harley Quinn as there are in Suicide Squad, which is kind of the only way she shot in that movie. Uh-huh. And it's just better all the way around. It makes for a more enjoyable experience. Uh, the character is more genuine. Mm-hmm. She's she's relatable as a woman. She's not just hot and crazy. Right. I think with Birds of Prey was the first time that I had have ever seen that character depicted in such a way that I felt like all of her behavior patterns and everything that the way she interacts with everyone leads right back into the fact that she is a trained psychiatrist and that she is treating everything that she does as a giant sociological experiment, (laughs) (laughs) which I've never gotten out of that character before. But also agency. I feel like Mm -hmm. she has a level of agency that's just, I mean, unheard of to me anyway, which is not not that I'm that well educated in in the Gotham universe, but uh, it it felt to me like this is what, this has got to be the first time that Harley Quinn ever has like any real agency of her own. Mm -hmm. This is true. And she even talks about it. I'm, I'm remembering now she has that whole, discussion like that drunk conversation with a stranger about like do you know what a harlequin is uh that, and that conversation is with black canary right right that's their first interaction right mm-hmm. um yeah it's so it, it's she just like puts it right out there like i i i have lived a life that means i am nothing without this other without this man and then from there forward, she begins to uh, manipulate her world to to meet her agenda, mm-hmm. in in a good way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have a really odd divergent question for you. <laughs> like, no, do it. Topic. Uh, so, because you're you all talk about pop culture and everything, do you pretty much in terms of watching and reading and whatnot? Like you just said, yeah, I just watched this movie, even though it's still bad. Like, is, do you feel it's your responsibility <laughs> to watch everything that comes out? Sometimes, because I refuse to. It, my husband and I have a ten minute rule, so we were watching, and if it's not on we're like moving on because there's so much good content to watch and i'd rather rewatch something i enjoy and that's just right. me but i was wondering if you felt you had a responsibility because my my friend who owns a, a pop culture store you know a comic store he's like i will never get those hours back of watching uh, netflix's iron fist or whatever it was <laughs> I, think it was. <laughs> I was wondering uh, if you were all in the same boat where you're like okay you're gonna watch this one and i'll, I'll take the te- i'll take one for the team with this or how does that uh, work <laughs> we have definitely done that before oh yeah i think we used to be a little bit uh which we used to try harder to all watch a thing um to be able to like have a conversation about it yeah 
But over time, we've realized like, well, we have very divergent schedules and like some of us have more time than others. And like, and that can flip flop from month to month. Yeah. Uh, week to week. <laughs> week to week. <laughs> Uh, I mean, every now and then I'll, I know I will watch something that I, I'm not necessarily interested in because I want to be able to have the conversation. Uh, but if I don't care enough to even have the conversation, I'm not going to subject myself to something I don't want to see. <laughs> right. And uh, I think these days we're a little bit more divide and conquer sometimes. Sometimes. Very much like, so, I'm, yeah. I'm still never watching The Room. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's no, fine because either. that's fine because we we're never going to need to have that conversation. <laughs> no. All of those conversations have happened somewhere else and it's it's all all those bases <laughs> are covered. We're good. Yeah. Um I I mean one of my one of my previous jobs was an actual film reviewer. So I did have to see everything. Yeah. I'd have friends or coworkers say it's so cool you get to watch every movie and I was always like, "Yes, every." <laughs> Movies. You've trained for this. <laughs> I think you guys, you have no idea. Um, I don't think I've, I've only walked, I've walked out of two movies my entire life as a reviewer. One was Rush Hour 3. <laughs> um, because when they were fine with uh, making a, a, a butt joke with Roman Polanski in the room, I'm like, okay, I'm out. You guys knew exactly what you were saying here. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not finishing this. Um, and the other was uh, uh, Frank Miller directing The Spirit. Oh. Oh, that was, no, don't. You... I watched that whole movie. You never saw it? Don't. That's that don't. Is two hours you can't get back. Do not watch The Spirit. Uh, but in terms of like. No, okay. <laughs> I'll I, take your word for it. <laughs> I, I am someone that will try to find uh, value in in something, if if only to comment on it. And also being a pop culture show we'll get a lot of like, well, what are your thoughts about this? And if eventually your answer is like, I don't know, I didn't see it. Um, you know, it's, it's get, it gets harder and harder to actually comment on so many different aspects yeah. of, of culture, which might be a corner that we painted ourselves into this room anyway, <laughs> since we're not just comics, we're not just movies. We, so we've, we're everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I'll, I will watch a lot of things that just aren't that good. <laughs> um, but I'll try to find value in it somewhere. You know, there's film. Right. That, um, like, <laughs> here's the thing. I, as a rule, I don't like Zack Snyder movies. I, I don't mm -hmm. think they're well done. I think they're very jingoistic. They're, they're ugly on so many levels. On the flip side, I think if he wasn't directing and he was a cinematographer, I think he'd be a much more effective filmmaker because I think he has a good eye for types of shots. Mm -hmm. I just don't think he knows how to create the emotional resonance behind those shots. Yeah. Mm. So I'd rather someone who's a better director saying this is what we're going for and then have Zach set the, set the camera and, and pull it off. Yeah. I mean, I have a soft spot for like indie filmmakers because for me, it's like if you've got millions of dollars and I just feel like this is a wasted film, I'm, I'm just not supporting. But for indie filmmakers, I am like, you did it. You made something. I'm proud of you. And right. I know what goes into that. And so even if it's not great, so many people talk about making things or I could have done this better. And I'm like, well, then do it. Do it. Oh, better, do it. You know? Yeah. So for mm -hmm. indie, like I have like a different category for that. But you're right. Like the Zach like the big films I just yeah I, you know I'm glad that we have you to watch all the films for us and let us know. <laughs> but I am also like you I am much more I am much more forgiving when it comes to indie films I've I've yeah. I've worked on major films before I've worked on indie films I've shot yeah. a couple of my own small ones I know how much work goes into them 
that's why even on, I mean, not so much big budget ones. I don't really care when they flop, like whatever, everyone's going to be fine. But if an indie or a smaller budget film like tanks, there's a part of me that feels really bad because I know how much work goes into them. Like it's mm-hmm. just how much blood, sweat and tears you put into a film. Um, it's like, I don't remember the producer's name. There's this producer who's been quoted before saying that he sits through the credits of every film, even the bad ones, because he knows how hard everyone there worked. And he at least owes them that, Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but when it comes to stuff like Netflix shows, I'll cash out. I got two episodes <laughs> into Iron. I got two episodes into Immortal Iron Fist, and I was like, "Oh, I'm out. Nope, I can't do it." <laughs> you know, and I felt bad because as I read more about how much that production was rushed, and that actor was given like an afternoon of martial arts training, I'm like, "Okay, now have fight scenes." You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I definitely could not watch that one <laughs> from a, even just a martial art perspective. I'm like, oh, I, oh it was so rough. I would be I got, cringing. I got two episodes in and I was like, I think I can throw a better punch than that. <laughs> and, and I, mm-hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know. You get a lot of extra Misty Night though. That's true. Because I did watch, uh, I did watch, well, there is only one season, huh? Oh, oh yeah. It just, felt like, it just felt, it just no, felt like two. more. There's two oh, seasons okay. of Iron Fist. There? I definitely did not yeah. watch the second season. Nobody did. That's why they cancel it. Oh. <laughs> and, and all the other connected series uh and like with the defenders i think i watched the first episode and the last i was like all right <laughs> you, got you get the gist yeah <laughs> the book ends I yeah i don't need the build-up i just want to see the defenders beat people up right now that's kind of what <laughs> i want to see so it's kind of like a music video you, you just have it on in the background it's the action and you don't really need the story you get it yeah uh <laughs> we've done that as a bit for this show a couple times in the in the past uh it was years and years and years ago when they remade clash of the titans one of our old co-hosts we made it as this joke that the clash of the titans video or trailer looked like the best like wanky 80s metal video ever made so he just built the playlist and put in his ipod and didn't listen to the movie itself he just had like 20 metal songs play in his ears while he watched (laughs) clash the titans And when we all came out and did that, that reviewer thing that all critics do, all we did was blast it. He came out, he was like, that was the greatest 90 minutes I've ever had in my life. <laughs> like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, it was just nothing. It was the best metal video I ever saw. And then he told us what he did. We're like, damn it, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can be an improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martial um, art movies are a lot like that. That's why I thought of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I totally... <laughs> I will often just play Tron Legacy in the background, but then just play the soundtrack. I don't need the movie. I just need the pretty visuals and the music. I'm happy with that. Uh Fair enough. (laughs) And that seems like a really good place to take a quick break and talk to you about our sponsors. First off, of course, is Guardian Games. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They are officially open to the public again. However, it is just for showing up to to shop. Uh, There is no in-store gaming. The Critical Sip is still not open. There's really just to show up, uh, get what you have been looking for, or maybe peruse the the aisles for a little bit to be inspired. But uh, maintain safe social distancing, don't touch anything because then they have to clean it. So so be careful. Um, they are they are opening to to help you out, and you know there's still some risk out there. So show some show some respect and love to the folks that are working at Guardian Games, making sure that you can uh, have have the entertainment and the storytelling means to pass the time these days. 
So yeah, you can go down there. I do believe they are still doing online ordering and curbside pickup if you still are not comfortable with going into any kind of store or anything like that. So I believe that is still an option also. But uh, yeah, you can go down there now, um, pick up your games, be cool, be kind to them. And uh, also, you know, while you're ringing up, you know, remember to thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio, which is also brought to you by our friends at Bridge City Comics. Now, I don't think they are open yet. We'll have to double check, but... Michael hasn't said any anything to that effect as yet. However, they you know comics are are shipping. So go to bridgecitycomics.com and click on their uh, shop online link. Every week uh, they post the new the new issues that are coming out, so you can place your orders there. If you have a subscription box, you can you know let them know what your subscription box number is. They also list all the new graphic novels that they will be getting that week. Uh, so place your orders there. They are doing curbside pickup. I do believe they are doing free, like, drive-around delivery drop-off if you live in the the Portland area. However, they are also uh, shipping to your house with a a minimal shipping fee. So help them out. It's still pretty rough out there for for all retail, but especially for the folks in comics. Um, So, yeah, place your orders at bridgecitycomics.com. If there's a book you don't see on the list and it's still in print... Uh, drop them an email, like in your order form, saying, hey, I'm trying to find whatever. You're trying to find a certain graphic novel. If it's still available at Diamond, they'll order it for you, and it'll show up, and uh, you can have your book delivered then. So please check them out, and, uh, you know, maybe in the notes section, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Remind them that uh, you are grateful for their support of the podcast community here. And then, uh, yeah, finally, before we get back to it, uh, a huge shout-out, as always, to RevNat and RevNat Cider, uh, who has hooked us up with some equipment so that the show continues to sound good as we all record from our respective homes and basements and living rooms and and whatnot. And uh, also, check out uh, RevNat Cider right now. He is matching uh, donations, I think, up to $5,000 for the Black Resilience Fund, which is a, a local... Local charity happening here in Portland. I've donated a bit to it. It's uh, pretty great what they're doing, helping helping uh, black people get take care of bills and stuff as needed or just kind of helping the community in general. Uh, RevNat does so much more than just make some of the finest cider in the country. Uh, they also support the community, which is pretty amazing. Anyway, let's get back to the show and our conversation with Mimi Chen. Um do you see, Mimi, like any trends kind of coming in the world of like, you know, of, of storytelling that you begin to notice that you think is a positive, a positive evolution or a positive change that's coming? Oh, I don't know. That's like predicting the future, right? Uh, <laughs> well, the thing was, we, I think uh, a little bit earlier, we mentioned that there was the, the slow build of from Black Panther to Crazy Rich Asians and all these, these bigger movies that were coming out that were so well received and very, very diverse. And Mm -hmm. so that was a bit exciting, you know, for the moment. And like I was saying earlier, there's some Netflix shows out there that um, Mindy Cowling is doing that has people of color. Like we're we're looking like at a Pakistani person lead and just things you would never have seen even maybe two years ago. And Mm -hmm. so that's pretty exciting. And I just don't know. And that's why I asked the Netflix question about statistics and how do they, you know, what do they decide to keep promoting? Like it's because of viewership, I would guess. How, how does that work? Like if they, if people, they know they're watching it, right? So the, my hope would be that 
uh, more and more people tend to look at a screen and feel comfortable with it. Because I actually believe there's a lot of people who look at the screen and if they see too many uh, diverse backgrounds, they see too many people of color, they're actually kind of turned off by it. Like, why? It's just jarring. I think it's a little bit jarring still for people. Um, So my hope is that the more of these, like even these small little sitcom type shows that are out there, the better. Uh, but with, like you said, everything literally being at a halt, it, I don't even know what production would look like on a set right now in a COVID world without a vaccine, right? Like Greg and I were talking, we're like, what would a, what would a love scene be like? The trust that you have to have to have this intimacy and just, I mean, for us at Kung Fu, we, we do fight sets all the time and I'm like, okay, right now, nobody can touch each other. We can't spar. We got to kind of take it easy because there's just so, so many unknowns. So it's frustrating because there was a little bit of what I think was a small momentum and I don't know what this, you know, this climate is bringing to that. Yeah. I, I totally know, didn't answer your question, but. No, no, but, <laughs> but it is, I mean, but it's become the root of the, of the problem or one of them in that. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's many, but yeah, when production does come back, you're right. What is it going to look like? That momentum you know? is lost now, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are we just for a while, just going to go back to kind of one room dramas where people look at each other and just kind of go, Oh, Oh, um, yes. Hello. You know, <laughs> we're just going to turn into like late sixties BBC for a while, which you know, could be fun. But I do know <laughs> that there's stationary a stationary camera. Yeah. Uh, well, I, do I know, know that, that we've, like, go ahead. Well, I was just say animation is definitely becoming like, that's yeah. what I was going to say is uh, yeah. I know that there's a, a lot of theorizing that animation could be sort of the, the linchpin for, uh, for entertainment right now because it's something that is more feasibly created without putting too many people in, in the same space or too close together. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, uh, I, I think it just becomes a matter of still opting for uh, the products, quote unquote, that incorporate diverse casts, uh, diverse writers' rooms, uh, and that don't have problematic content. <laughs> Right. I mean, you can write stuff that makes you uncomfortable, but it's also in how you present it. Right. And then there's the question of also theaters, right? So, um, and I've talked about this before on previous podcasts with people who know a lot more about cinema, but there's that theory that, you know, back when, you know, Ben-Hur and all these things were, were out, there's these big studio films with thousands of people in them and extras and whatnot, because they were played in a theater for like a thousand people. And so the number of people on screen was almost representative of the number of people in the audience enjoying that film together. Whereas, you know, fast forward, we've got iPads, we've got iDevices. And so some of the films uh, have, can be catered to, like you were saying, like that one person on camera, like, uh, what was that? show in space gravity uh, no gravity gravity yeah. right well yeah. i mean it's just like okay you know obviously there's it, it's great on a screen or whatever but like you know there's that there's that that movie theory but theaters aren't even really open yet and when they are who's going to be going to them i mean we've seen how many films now put on hold right because they just couldn't get their release and so right. there's so many like things that are affected that you wonder well i don't know and i, I had asked a few people creators about the animation part so is it going to look like literally like cartoon animation or is it more like the alita where there's actors and then it's you know um Mm. motion capture and so but that doesn't appeal to everyone so i i think 
I don't know. I think it's 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 a lot of up in the air type of stuff. But the theater thing, I was curious about because box offices just don't know what to do right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know. I mean, we're pretty spoiled in Portland with how many also small indie theaters we have. Oh, okay. Um, and what's interesting is they seem to be weathering this pretty well because their their fan base, their audience is so supportive. So a lot of theaters here now yeah. are opening up, and all they're selling are is popcorn. Like, I know our local one, the Hollywood Theater, which is a theater that I just adore. I think it was two weeks ago. They said, look, we're not open, but they created a, basically a streaming service with their own website. Like, we're taking the films we were going to screen. You pay a certain amount of money, and you can watch it live with everyone else. Like, you can't just log in whenever. It's like, okay, at 8 p.m., we are showing this classic okay. Hammer Horror film. If you have a ticket, you get a code to log in. And you can watch it knowing that you're there with other people virtually watching this film. But then it's like, stuff that's harder to get on streaming services too. Yeah. Also that. Um, and they started selling popcorn out their front door. They're like, you're watching classic movies at home. You know what you're missing? Movie theater popcorn. And people lined up because they want that experience and they're going to yeah. kind of get it any way they can. But I don't know when someone's going to feel safe enough to do it in a, in a theater. Right. Um, and do you want to be sitting with the people that are fine sitting in a theater right away? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Usually they're the ones that are not careful, right? Um, Those are all the people who were uh, picketing to open the salons. A right. Month ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Yes. That, that it's okay. I mean, you guys are in Portland. Remember, I am in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Very, it's very different here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm the minority and the minority. Let me tell yeah. you. It's, it's, it's it's Florida. So right. yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> we no, always have yeah. to apologize on behalf of Florida. It's, it's like a constant <laughs> thing. Just, I'm sorry. I'm from Florida and I'm sorry. O but, Oregon uh, has its own very ugly past. They've just become very good at whitewashing it. Uh, <laughs> pun 100% yeah, intended. Mm -hmm. I was going to say there's Portland and then there's the rest of Oregon, but that's not quite right either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, back to diversity. <laughs> well, no, but you were, uh, one thing that I found interesting is how many businesses had to have to be very creative during COVID and also, um, moving into, uh, very controversial, like Black Lives Matter stuff. It's like, you see all these companies that have to make a decision now. Like one is how am I going to survive in quarantine? Let me do streaming services. How we, we move to virtual classes. Like we immediately had to pivot and shift. And then you have mm -hmm. something crazy like, um, you know, these protests and this, this horrible, uh, you know, murder that happened and this response to it being completely different than anything else in the past. And now companies also have to respond, right? And how are they going to respond? And so they're all having to pivot. Like the culture is just, it's, everything is so fast. And, uh, you know, you have a podcast, so you know, you have, you have a conversation a week ago. You're like, oh God, I mean, everything we talked about is, feels like five years ago. Should we even play it? Because is it relevant? People are going to go, we're past that. But right. You know, there's just so much pivoting and so much that you have to constantly try to recreate as, you know, as a small business owner, that's kind of what I feel. And you mentioned the indie film thing, the indie theaters, and we only have like one or two maybe in Orlando, but one, well, what one did, and I don't even know how they did it because I didn't, but they had, they somehow made the screen where they could do a drive-in and they showed The Princess Bride, which is like my favorite movie of all time, but <laughs> it was sold out in like an hour. And so right. there is a way for these companies' business to find a creative way to kind of get around all of this. But like you said, how long is that novelty going to wear off? And how long are people going to sign into the streaming? And for the, for the 
other part, you know, the, the, the activism part, the, the companies are being bashed that don't, you know, put out support right away or say something a little bit like, it's just such a precarious time for everyone. It's, it's, I don't know what film studios are thinking right now. Like, do right. we need to just put all, all, all black content? What do we like? I, I can imagine they're just kind of going crazy. Yeah. I, and I can imagine a lot of them making just the worst choices right now because they likely <laughs> don't have an actual black voice in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a bunch I, of. <laughs> yeah. I can see someone in some a studio executive and just a room full of like white dudes in suits seeing, you know what? Our, let's put out a third shaft movie then. Like, no, that's not. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, you can, but don't make it like the anything like the last two because they were awful. You know, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> How about you actually hire the person that's been writing Shaft lately instead of some, um, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, right. We're biased because we actually know the person who has been writing Shaft lately. But yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say, like, I actually don't mind the, the, the company that maybe takes a day or two before they make a statement yeah. because I hope during that time they're actually um, looking within their corporate culture and, and, and recognizing their issues of like, okay, we're not just going to go and spew this thing out. If we're going to do it, we have to be serious about it. So I, I, I can appreciate the companies that are doing that. Um, I don't know how many are, um, but I think now with so many of these companies now making these statements towards diversity and, and black lives matter and denouncing police violence, which is all wonderful. Now it's on us to hold them to it, hold them accountable. Like, they shouldn't have, in my opinion, shouldn't have gotten a pass in the past, but now they can't. Right, right. And there, there's also a difference. I mean, we're talking two different things. So one, there's like huge, big corporate, blah, blah. And then there's, you know, small businesses and everything. And, and like you said, I feel like there's just a processing time with that and also being very deliberate about what you're going to say, not just jump on it and throw a meme up that's, you know, oh, I support because I want to seem X, Y, Z. And there's a there's a huge, like my husband and I are looking because, you know, we're small business owners. We want to make sure that um, we steal other people's great ideas because, you know, that's, that's why not? Like, oh, this is great. This is good. But there's a difference between people who just say they support and there's a difference where you see people saying, well, here's what we are doing. Here's the actions that we're taking. Right. And I think that's the key for people to kind of look at and say, well, yes, it's one thing to say you're not racist. I don't know if any company is going to go, yeah, well, we're racist. You know, no one's going to post that, <laughs> right? Everyone's going to say oh, we're, we're not or anti-racism. I mean, maybe Chick-fil-A. Oh, sorry. Was that? <laughs> Oops. Uh, this is why we don't get sponsors on this show. <laughs> I don't know sponsors either. So. <laughs> we have local ones and they're all very nice small businesses <laughs> who have had to pivot. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's very jarring. So, you know, my husband and I, we both own our, our, our own, you know, he does health and fitness and, and strength training and I do the Kung Fu side. And, you know, immediately, personally, we are, of course, I've always been in support. I've had lots of guests in the past uh, on for Black Lives Matter and everything. But from the company standpoint, you have to be very careful uh, because you also don't want to come across like you're alienating your students or clients or whatnot. You, you're, you, you have to kind of draw a line between politics. And for me, what made me make sure that we put, so what we posted was literally like in Kung Fu, you do a bow for respect and we do a lot of different stances. That is one of our stances It's called kneeling and we're actually kneeling. So we did a bow in a kneeling stance to, you know, show, show support. And then I did hashtag black lives matter specifically because I wanted to be very clear that we're not just anti-racist, but we also really believe in this movement. And the difference 
that made me pick that was the difference was that I felt like it wasn't a political issue, that it was more of a moral and ethical issue. But I think every company also make that choice for themselves and how they see it and who's in, like you said, who's in their, in their, in their staff and in the corporation and all these things. There's just so much to it. And I think it's hard to, it's easy to just criticize, you know, but when you're on the deciding side, I, I have a little bit of empathy for that. And so as long as you eventually come to the right message, right. I think you have to give people time. Yeah. I think, and if you come to it with some authenticity, I think people will appreciate and notice that for sure. And allow people to change their minds. Like if they get new information and realize they were wrong, it, I think at this point we should take what we can get, like yeah, apologies. And, I, you know? yeah. That's why I have a big, I have a big issue with just the 100% putting someone on blast and cancel culture. Cause if you don't allow someone the chance to acknowledge their errors and grow, then what's the point? Um, there are some things that I would probably not forgive. And you know what, maybe there's some things you're not welcome back to the table but I think there's a lot of stuff as someone grows, you, you have to let them grow. Um, I think everyone, a personal nature, you don't necessarily have to like be cool with them, but you don't actually have to go after them anymore either. If that makes sense. Right. Like, you know what? I can appreciate that you've grown and you've done better, but I'm still not good with hanging out with you. And this is a more broad uh-huh. statement, but good for you. I'm not going <laughs> to like, I'm also not going to hinder you, but I'm not going to be hey. your friend either. Yeah. I mean, it's also, if we all just took a little, a small look at ourselves, like all of us at some point in our teens or youth where we were all an asshole at some point. So I'm sure that we could say, oh, you know, there's something I've done that's been wrong. And it's, it's easy to just jump on it. And, and I don't think that's helpful. So I, I look at writing I did 10 years ago and go like, <laughs> Ooh, I mean, it's still on the blog, but whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's important because that shows your growth and and I think it's I think it's good and I think you feel that way because it's your writing because I feel that way about my content anything I do as well you're like oh right sure yeah <laughs> I know that I can definitely admit to I mean honestly not even all that long ago where I had a lot of uh perspectives that I wholeheartedly disagree <laughs> with now and yeah. it's and I don't think it ever came from a place of wanting to make people feel othered. It's just that, again, like that systemic uh, bias that you develop from the world around you or just from a lack of education. Yeah. You know, you sort of like knee jerk your opinions about things you hear about before you really know the ins and outs. Even just something like the minimum wage used to, I used to be one of those like, Oh, no one should get paid that much to be a burger flipper kind of a person. And I know now that that's that absolutely the wrong uh, opinion, uh, like a perspective on that debate. Um, But I just, I had to get there first Mm -hmm. from, from a, a place of not really knowing socioeconomic factors. Um. I, I think that there should always be room to allow people to evolve and grow, but they do have to be willing to do that and admit that they were wrong. Like, don't just right. show up one day and be like, no, I was always cool with the LGBTQ community. Right. <laughs> when we know that that's not true. 
Like just at least admit you were wrong before, you know, before you want to like join the rest of the party. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think on that kind of interesting note, I know Mimi, you only had like an hour or so, so we should probably let you go here, let you get back to everything. But before, before we uh, uh, say goodbye, can you, um, so your show is uh, culture chat. And this week you sat down with Gail Simone. I did. I did. Uh, this week what? was Gail Simone. And every Friday is Greg Greco. We're, okay, right. we're not live, so we're always about a week or so behind with Greg uh, Greco's. But yeah. You have to say, yeah. So does your, is it a new show every Tuesday? Is that when the podcast Every or? Tuesday, yeah. So every Tuesday is a new show. And then since quarantine, I also have Greg on Fridays. So... <laughs> Oh, so you're actually doubling your output right now. I am because I, I originally I was like, well, what I'll do is I'll post Greg every other Tuesday. But again, because of the content and the timeliness of it, it's not as evergreen. So I felt like, oh, we just talked about something that happened and I wanted to kind of try to stay current with it. So we're, we're a week out with Greg's and then the Tuesday one is just really various. So yeah, my show is everything from like I had a, a young woman who is a DACA student that I actually have to check in with because it's June and Supreme Court's coming, you know, time's coming up. So I had her on my show. I'm really big on immigrant issues and people of different cultures. I've had uh, all sorts of different walks of life. But lately I have had a lot of comic creators on the show. So, <laughs> um, But it is not uh, strictly pop culture and, and comics. It's it's a lot of other different different topics as well. <laughs> We're just so lonely comic creators. We don't go anywhere. there's there's no more conventions this year so we don't get to talk to anybody well that was something i asked a lot of creators about i was like what do you think the the future of comic cons will be like because you know the convention scene is definitively uh, a problem for large group gatherings for with covid yeah i don't know if that'd be another show i feel like we should have uh some other guests on for that but also have cable jump in on that that used to be his his, his place for a long time and still has many thoughts on the convention market in general. Oh. Yes, he has, he has many opinions. So if you ever want to have <laughs> many market, strong yeah. opinions, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did, I did want to pump your show just a little bit for anyone who uh, doesn't already, anyone listening on our end, doesn't already know about you because you do uh, have a very diverse um, range of topics that you cover. Like I, I've heard you do again, like stuff about immigration. You have your mm-hmm. kung fu conversations, your comic book uh, creator chats with a variety of different artists and writers. Uh, what other topics would you say are like stuff to tune in for if they want to oh, check you out? Wow. Well. Yeah, so I also, of course, this is Pride Month, so I I have a lot of of things on the LGBTQ community. Uh, I've even had uh, law enforcement on to discuss their take on Black Lives Matter. So I'm going to be talking to someone again this week who actually uh, happens to be uh, former law enforcement and his stance on that, and he's going to be discussing a lot about the current situation. So, uh, but it, for sure, I've had breast cancer survivors and just really all walks of life. My thing is that I, I started the show in 2016 uh, to have a separate voice actually of my Sifu Mumu voice so that I didn't uh, share, overshare in my Kung Fu world because that's my professional realm and, and the temple is a place for uh, everyone to feel like they can leave all of that outside of it and go there for kind of that, that peaceful training and just kind of leave everything at the door. But I was very, very sad after the election, um, borderline depressed, and I felt like I wanted to have these conversations <laughs> with people so that uh, there could be a 
bit of empathy in the world. And I think when people share these stories, and that's why I think it's really great the work that you're doing, because even though you say you're talking about pop culture, I've heard you kind of go into all sorts of other things and sharing and building empathy and, and having these conversations are super important. And so that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to highlight someone different each week that could kind of share a story that might uh, make an impression on someone who can hear firsthand, you know, this is what it was like when I came to the country as a refugee or, you know, this is what it's like to be black or brown or Asian or, you know, different, different walks of life or, you know, and then, so that was the main reason I started the podcast. And then from there, it just kind of kept building into just <laughs> different conversations because everyone has a story to share and everyone is super interesting. So I yeah. just get to learn basically each week on my show. So, but thank you again for um, having me on here and then having, and being able to talk about that and, and for sharing and uh, our listeners will also get the benefit of the Geek in the City crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool, Mimi. Thanks a lot. We got to let you, I know you got to sign off here. So All good. Uh, I'm going to go listen so to the Gail episode today. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. It was so lovely to meet all of you. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Let's see. That was fun. Yeah. Are we still live? We are still live. We got a few minutes before we wrap up here. Okay. Uh, we didn't have time to check in, see how everybody's doing. <laughs> oh, we didn't. We just jumped right in. Yeah. Um, cable, looks cable looks sleepy, Cable. I'm exhausted. Yes. I'm <laughs> perpetually exhausted. And and for good reasons. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've I've actually had uh, like some really productive days recently. Um, looking for work can is actually pretty time consuming, but I have nothing but so it means I'm <laughs> making better use of my days. Plus, I've had a number of different projects going on, like some painting for some old furniture. New. I'm going to redo my pantry situation. Um, None of it is hyper important, but it gives me some sense of purpose, which turns out I kind of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having, having zero responsibilities day in and day out is not good for me because I don't have the willpower to have a structured life without that. Especially not in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> right. Um, well, I, I mean, if I could leave the house more, it doesn't necessarily mean I would. And it would only be to like, I don't know, spend money on something I didn't need because it got me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it like having, having like, again, like a purpose or like a sense of purpose, even if it's not that important in the long run. Uh, well, plus I started uh, doing zoom sessions with my trainer. How's that uh, going? I've only done two because the week has been wonky and then we couldn't do one yesterday, but the goal is three times a week. Uh, my, my, all of my muscles hurt, uh, from months <laughs> of inactivity. So I, I didn't even have like very difficult sessions last week, the two that I did, but I'm still sore from it because it's just, I'm like, I mean, my muscles were borderline going to atrophy. Apparently your body's like, I hate you. Yeah. I mean, as it is, I hate working out. I like the results. I like the way I feel after the work, but actually physically lifting heavy things up and down and, you know, moving my body a bunch. uh, Not my favorite. Right. I mean, depending on the mood I'm in or how the lift feels, I will actually enjoy that feeling of like stressing my body out to like lift a heavy weight. Mm. Um, Because it's a good, 
it's a good expression of a lot of emotions. It kind of gets out of my system. Um, but yeah, but yeah, before I'm like, I don't want to work out. Workout's yeah. gross. And then afterwards, you always feel great. You kind of strut, but you're like, yeah. Look right. That. What what I have to do <laughs> is like remember to like get some protein in my body before the before the session and take my pre workouts uh, to like kind of get me up and moving. It's basically like cracking a bottle or powdered crack, and then you just you know shake it oh. up and it's like it's blueberry flavored energy right. we said um, the first i'm like what kind of drink do you have before <laughs> he's like said, i i pop open the crack and do a few shots and then mom is ready to lift oh crack it no uh no it's like uppers it's it's probably <laughs> basically just uppers um but it comes in a powder right. and you mix it with some water and then you know 30 minutes later you're ready to lift heavy things like with gusto uh it makes, a, it makes a big difference for me. So I can't wait to your first interview after your job hunting and someone's like, so uh, Ms. Espinoza, I hear you do a podcast and I was listening to it. It turns out that you like to have speed before workout. Do you want to explain <laughs> that? <laughs> hey, if I can get it at Walgreens, it's perfectly legal. So over the counter at Walgreens. There you go. <laughs> or Target, you know, whatever it's. Yeah. Well, it's On just extra. Note. It's just like B It's like B twelve. It's a bunch of B twelve. It's fine. It's fine. It's uh, funny. Please, no one tell any potential employers of mine that I do drugs. That's unless it's you know radio, then it's fine. <laughs> In which case, like they expect it. Oh yeah, I remember when the stage yeah. manager years ago was like, "We're going to implement random drug testing and just the sea of laughter <laughs> throughout." You know, <laughs> that's funny. Yes. Uh, Cable, how are you? Other than um, everything's weird. <laughs> right. Um, uh, work is fine. It's still I'm still not quite adjusted to the fact that we are open and we have customers in the store. Yeah. So I'm are intentionally people allowed not- to hang out there now? No. Okay. So that, no one, that that would violate the state order. Okay. So but now they just can come in and peruse, buy their shit and get out rather people than people can shop. We can allow people to shop. <laughs> we cannot we do not have any events. Okay. Um the you know, Portland has yet to enter phase one. Um Phase one will allow up to uh, gatherings of 25 people. That's too many people. And Ugh. I have no idea what that's going to look like for um, events at Guardian. So we'll figure that out. Yeah, that's fun. I don't, I don't care for any yes. of it, uh, especially since uh, so many areas are currently uh, experiencing a spike in cases. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was Memorial Day weekend two weeks right. ago. Yes, that's uh, exactly what's and all the, I can, what is causing the spike. And all I can Not think of protests. is like, we never even made it out of phase, uh, the, the first wave. Right. We never even made it out of the first wave and already we're uh, in a second wave, essentially. Mm-hmm. This, this really sucks, but I think it was when, it was about a week or so ago, I just reserved myself to the fact that... Um. America as a whole will develop a form of herd immunity towards COVID, but in the most savage and brutal way possible. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to do it, but it's I don't know be, what you mean by that. In terms of eventually, there will be some form of, of herd immunity, and obviously, Aaron's not a doctor, <laughs> but I, I've I've read enough to say that like. COVID, you can develop a sense of herd immunity to it. Not as much as you can other things, like when you get a flu shot. But to reach there, we are going to have to have hundreds of thousands of people die first. And that's what I mean. We're already 100,000 down. Fantastic. We're halfway there. So, And one of the things that makes me think that is that like a month or so ago, every crazy nut jobber who was demanding we all be let out, kept pointing to what they were calling the Swedish model because that's the route Sweden chose to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I thought that that blew up in their faces. It did. It they did. flat out had to admit, but no one's reporting on that, that per capita Sweden has more cases than anywhere else in Europe. I definitely um, saw headlines where that were like, nope, that was completely yeah. the wrong answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, but for the longest time, a lot of right-wing media was like, why don't we follow, th- you all love the Swedes for everything else, why don't we following this? And the Swedish government had to say, yeah, we were wrong, and now we're, now we're kind of boned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, America's going to, I mean, and I will probably be a vaccine eventually, because that's how science works, but in terms of any kind of, like, herd immunity, yeah, we're going to get there, but it's, it's going to be brutal to get there. Yep. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like New Zealand that hasn't had a case in uh, like a week. Wow. Meanwhile, we have separated from the World Health Organization. Woohoo! Brilliant. Well, let's end on a happy note and say oh, we have God. another guest. We have another guest next week. We do. <laughs> do we we do. Week? So, uh, for those of you not in Portland, a uh, couple years ago, uh, this our city was graced uh with the addition of a restaurant uh that was all about nerd and pop culture so um just a bar and restaurant just filled to the gills with uh, comic book uh collectibles and art and cocktails you know named after tardises and you know uh and pretty good food yeah the food, the food was yeah, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, well, they uh, and it was called the Nerd Out, and they announced recently that they will no longer be opening their doors back up after uh, the shutdown ends. So uh, they are they are gone almost as quickly as they came, unfortunately. And so we wanted to talk to the proprietor, Chef Mitch, uh, about about the closure and about COVID and, you know, life in general. Uh-huh. Uh, and then maybe see what, what's, what's planned for the future. And uh, we were going to have him on sooner, but, you know, the world is on fire and there were other conversations that we decided to have instead. Uh, but he has graciously uh, agreed to reschedule and he'll be joining us next week. Yes. Cool. And also apologizing to everyone uh, that was on the live stream. I apparently hit the wrong button and ended it like, eight minutes ago oh i was like getting texts and messages are like are you guys okay the stream just went dead and i was like i don't know that's weird oh i hit the wrong button oops so and that for for both the facebook and the youtube yes whoops apparently it's really easy to accidentally turn off restream 
So uh-huh. good to know. Sorry about that, everyone who was watching live, but the recording here is good. Uh, I'm still kind of figuring this out. Yeah, but uh, should wrap up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, let Cable have a nap if he's able to take one. Oh no, I have to go back to work. What? I thought today was your day off. But it's Tuesday. I have to go back to doing all the other work. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Try to get a little nap in or go to bed early. Just squeeze a little. Cable don't go to bed early. Nope. Cable's on my sleeping hours. Except for oh. I think he still gets up early. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, <laughs> Again, I look forward to sit, talking to Chef Mitch next week. That'll be good. That'll be yeah. good. And also a big thanks to uh, Mimi Chan for hanging out with us. Uh, I was awesome. so good. Look how much I didn't nerd out over Mulan. Good job. You I'm proud of you. A fantastic job. If I ever do meet her in person, I'm so having her sign my Blu-ray copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> next and time I'll... she comes, next time she comes to Greg's house, maybe yeah. you can just like peek in the bu- through the bushes. Oh sure, I'll be. <laughs> I don't know why I went that direction. That's not where I wanted to go what? when I started. <laughs> no, no, maybe. Yes, maybe let me creepily spy on the woman that can perpetually <laughs> kick ass. Yep. That's a good Smart. idea. Smart. That's, that's how we know you won't take it too far. Okay. Unlike me and this joke. You know, we stayed classy for almost 90 minutes. I mm-hmm. waited until our guest was gone, apparently. <laughs> Good job, Bean. Remember how I said I was fine as a recluse? Uh-huh. And maybe, maybe that's not quite right. What's the, what's the Mexican equivalent of the raccoon of the trash panda? Are you just turning into a chupacabra? I think a chupacabra is a little bit too far on the, in, the, in that direction. Uh... Wait, are there raccoons in Mexico? There's got to be, right? Uh, well, no, aren't they Uh-oh. a little bit more like foresty creatures? Yeah, I guess it's too. A warm. lot of forests in Mexico. Possums? I don't think they have possums either. Hmm. Well, I don't know. The gulf. What's, what's, that big, what's that big rat thing? No, those are in South America. The... Chinchillas. They have chinchillas. You're thinking capybaras. Capybaras. That's what I was thinking of. Cap- yes. Cap- capybaras. Capybaras. Yes. Because like. They eat a bunch of crap, but they're also really happy when you come around. They're like, hello! Neither of those things describe me. Yeah. Okay, some of those things maybe describe me. Yeah. Anyway. Bye. Anyway, with that, I'm Aaron Durant. I'm Vinarita. (laughs) And I'm Cable Hashitani. And we will talk to everybody next week. Uh, Ted Wheeler, resign. That's why I'm ending the show now from now on. Resign, Ted Wheeler. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Mm Mm-hmm.